0: yeah we're going through the reset and we're actually going through a mini series inside of it called the mind and i believe that steve kicked that off last week um and then this week neil is coming to preach to us this morning to talk about the transform mind so i know it's going to be such a good good message for all of us um so yeah so here's neil Good morning. Guys, are you feeling as uplifted as I am about spring? I'm telling you, even my body is like recovering more quickly right now. I like, I am just, I I can't even tell you what a little vitamin D does for the soul. It's not just the body. It like changes the mind. It changes, it's encouraging. It makes me want to keep living. Uh, You know, all those things that you kind of need, right? Are you guys awake? Come on. It's really, if you think I'm looking at you, I'm not. I've said that before. Like, it's really bright up here. I can only see, like, a few people up front. And then after a while, it just turns into this haziness. And if I see a really bright, like, one really bright light, I'm going to know it's close to the end. Okay. Last week, um, Steve did kick off this part of the series about, uh, about the mind and how we're called to love God with, with our mind, and he sort of gave an intro message to talk about that. And he also pointed out, um, you can grab these if you haven't, um, it's a psalm, a proverb, and a promise, and it's just a reading plan for you because here's what we know, is that if you aren't filling your mind with truth then your mind is being filled by other things. So we want to guide ourselves and guide our actions, and we do that by filling up with what Scripture says. So if you haven't picked one of these up, they're back at the offering table in the back over there. We just encourage you to take part in that. We're going to jump right in today. Um, Luke chapter 10 um, Jesus told this crowd uh, of, of listeners what was most important for humans to get. And if Jesus says that something's the most important thing, we should probably pay a little bit of attention to it. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 27. We've said this a whole bunch, but we, we need to keep hearing it. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Okay, how many of you guys know it's not a great idea to test Jesus? I mean, he's going to have the answer, Right? He's Jesus. He has the answer. Uh, but uh, this, this attorney, this expert in the law, really thought that he could, he could fool Jesus. And he said, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, what is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And because we are not a legalistic church, we decided to switch some of those parts around. As Steve pointed out, that if you got freaked out that we are now talking about the mind, instead of going in the order of the passage, this message is specifically for you. We're, we're mainly just teasing you, but we're, we just decided to pick the mind because we talked about heart already, and we feel like the heart sometimes is, is kind of the opposite of the mind, right? So we're going to be talking about the mind today. So we're in week two of learning how to practice loving God with our minds. But I am convinced that before we get there, we have a little bit of spiritual housekeeping to do to, to sort of give some context to what this is all about, what God is getting at. And some of it, you might think, this seems unrelated to our minds, but I assure you that it's essential according to Scripture. Okay, So just sort of walk with me through this. Second um, Peter chapter 3, verse 9 it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Okay, that's an interesting passage, right? So, so a lot of times we think God's slow in answering the prayers that we pray, for our own lives, for breakthrough that we're looking for. And, and, and sometimes we need to say, Lord, I thank you that you are slow. Because maybe if you answered those prayers, you'd also bring judgment into certain areas of my life. And that would hurt, right? So maybe slowness is a, is a positive thing. It definitely is in this passage. I, um, as I was reading this, it really came to me that I believe that one of Satan's greatest tricks in the church and in the world is to get us to not understand nor fully embrace the whole idea of repentance. I'm convinced that God, that, that, that God has a message for us that we have to get repentance right. We absolutely have to get this right. Because I believe that Satan is whispering to us um, in the church and outside of the church that actually we're really just okay because grace. And, and, and maybe, you know, listen, I'm all for grace all for grace, but I want real grace. I don't want fake grace. How about you? I don't want to think that I've received grace when I'm still an object of wrath in God's mind. Anybody else? We have to get repentance right in order to not be that. He tries to trick us over and over and over and I think that we're getting so many of these ideas messed up in the greater church because I don't think a whole lot of churches really teach what repentance actually is. So let's start with this. This isn't a simple thing, but if we don't repent of our sins, we die in our sins. If we don't repent of our sins, we die in them. Second Peter makes that clear, that God wants us to repent so that we don't pay for our own sins. Listen, every single sin that's ever been committed in the past, every sin that will be committed today, and every sin that will be committed in the future has already been covered, right? Jesus paid for everything that happened then, today, and in the future. He already paid for it. So you don't have to pay for it. But some of you might pay for them still. Are you following me here? You have to repent in order to receive grace and to be reconciled to God. So what, so what is repentance really? You might have noticed um, one way that it's, it's, kind of a, it's, it's kind of become a signature way for me to close messages is to share one particular passage, Acts 2.38, because it tells you exactly what your job is, um, to, what you need to do to respond to the grace of God, because there is an action step for you. You, you can't become a Christian because your grandparents were really faithful followers of Jesus. You can't become a Christian because the person next to you is the most Christiany Christian on earth. You can't become a Christian because you go to church. You can't become a Christian because you read the Bible. You can't become a Christian because you serve the poor. There are no actions that you can, can take to make yourself more favored in God's eyes. But you are required to do something. So if anybody tells you that you don't have to do anything to receive salvation from God, they're telling you a lie. Acts 2.38 says what we have to do. It says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You do have to do something. Don't let anybody tell you that you don't have to do anything to receive this. You have to do it. It's told, it's, it's, told us, it's told to us right there in this passage. So the word repent, it's an interesting thing. A lot of, a lot of us think that it's, it starts with an action. And it's actually not the case. The word repent in Greek is the word metanoia. Metanoia means to have a change of mind. So, so here's what repentance has to do with loving God with our minds. We have to have a change of mind about who we are and a change of mind about who God is in order to repent, in order to have the full action of repentance. So, so to love God with our minds, it first starts with repentance because there's absolutely nothing you can do to get your mind to love God unless you repent. Because there's nothing in human nature that's inclined to him. Do you guys, have you guys kind of caught on to that in your own life? We have an amazing bent towards selfishness. We have an amazing way to make everything about ourselves. Steve said last week, and I loved it, it was hilarious, he said that a mind is a terrible thing to waste. You might have remembered those commercials from years ago. But I would say it's even worse if we never have a change of mind that leads us to God. It's way worse. Way worse than wasting our minds. So to love God with our minds, we have to have minds that are inclined <clears throat> to Him. And I'm convinced, and, and, and from the witness of Scripture, that, that there's nothing that we can do to get our minds to do this. We have to have some outside interference. And and again, if you have any trouble believing that, 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 that humans are opposed to anything that's of God naturally, just turn on the news. And just watch how very broken our world is. Just look in your families and see how very broken and addicted and sorrowful and, 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 and patterns that repeat themselves generation after generation. We see the brokenness. There is nothing in human nature that turns towards God on its own. There's nothing. And even though it is God's desire for us, to come to repentance. That's what 2 Peter 3, 9 says. He won't force it on us. He'll let us have our own way because that's what love does. Love always gives a choice. It never forces anything on you. And I shared with the team a little earlier today that part of me loves that about God, that he gives us a choice, and part of me can't stand it because I know for myself how i still battle my own inclinations my own desire to go this way and sometimes i'm like god can you just like give me a, a spiritual lobotomy and, and just help me to always say yes to what you want me to do instead of like being dragged kicking and screaming how some of you guys are really really good at just being like i'm just going to follow jesus and you just keep, you kind of like go on your way and i'm just like i don't understand how you do that so well sometimes for me i'm just like i know what i'm supposed to do but i'm really stubborn anybody else How many of you guys still have a will? Anybody? Like seriously, sometimes I'm just like, no, I don't like that. I'll read something in scripture and I'm just like, "Mm, not today, Jesus. I'm like, that sounds great and I don't like it. So I'm going to have to learn the hard way. And he's like, as you wish. Seriously, love gives you permission to choose. So let's talk a little bit though about how God works behind the scenes to sort of move us into that place of rethinking. And our first point today is just simple. The Father calls. The Father calls. I think we can breathe a little sigh of relief that we have a God who is inclined towards us he is for us. So if you, when you're hearing this, you might be tempted to think that, oh my gosh, like, oh, we have a choice. This is, this is gonna be bad. If we're not inclined to, to turn towards God, then what do we do? Are we left to our own devices? And, and the answer is no. We have a God who is so for us that he's always wooing us, he's always speaking something to us, he's always showing us something. He's opening our, opening our eyes and our minds and our hearts to spiritual things that we would have no interest in because our minds on their own are clouded and they're dark and they're not interested in spiritual things. But the Father calls. In John chapter 6, uh, Jesus had, had just performed uh, a whole bunch of miracles and they were all about uh, about people's physical needs. He um, he fed five thousand with just five loaves of bread and two fish, and then he had leftovers. I mean, that's pretty sweet, right? That's that's an amazing thing. Then he walked on water. Almost immediately after that, it's like you'd think that everyone would be like, "I get it. He's God. You don't have to keep showing off. Like it's incredible." But the Jews started making these snide remarks about Jesus. They were kind of like talking behind his back uh, about, they're like, wait a second, he's calling himself. So this guy who, he, he, he made all this food for 5,000 people and then he just walked on water. You wouldn't think the first inclination of the heart would be to criticize Jesus, but they did. Because when he called himself the bread of life, they were like, wait a second, this is too much. Isn't this Mary and Joseph's son? They're like, oh, hey, eh, you know, I, we love the meal. That was great. Um, we love tuna, seared tuna. It's amazing. Ah, he's my favorite. It's really, really good. That was great. Um, I'm on a low-carb diet, so I didn't eat the bread. That's why there are leftovers. Um, the walking on water thing, that was a really nice touch. And, and then they're like, but, ooh, you called yourself the bread of life. That sounds like you're equating yourself to God. This is too much because we know Mary and we know Joseph. So There's no way. And Jesus looks at them, and like he always does, and he responds, I, I love this response, stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up at the last day. How often are we just like the original followers. How, how often are we just like that original crowd that, that when God does things in our lives, he, he blesses us with something. He, he moves in a way that gives us a physical blessing. We're like, this is awesome. And then he's like, are, are you right with me? Have you received eternal life? And you're like, actually, I'm really just more worried about like the clothes that I'm gonna wear tomorrow, Jesus. Um xfinity bills come in, and I can't pray, I can't pray them away so so I, can we just talk about you meeting my needs? and that's us creating God in our image instead of accepting that he is he is God, and we were made in His image. The audience was focused on the spiritual on the physical miracles, not the greater reality that the miracles pointed to. The greater reality was the kingdom that was to come, and all they Wanted what were full stomachs. Jesus was God, and He was there to reconcile them to the Father, but they didn't have eyes to see it. So it takes a miracle for humans to take spiritual interest. If you're wondering how much God wants us to hear from Him and to choose to repent, it helps to understand what the word "draw" actually means, because because Jesus said. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. That sounds sort of wistful and, and fancy, doesn't it? It's like, ooh, it just sounds like he's, he's doing this. He's like doing this, but in wh- whatever this looks like for God. You know, come out on the dance floor with me. <clears throat> That's what it sort of sounds like when you hear, oh, he draws you. Oh, he draws, d- draws a bath. That sounds nice. <clears throat> with a little Epsom salt, like it's really fancy. That's not what this word is. The word draws in Greek is translated as a dragging to something. Like draw is not the right word. It's a dragging to something. So God loves us enough to drag us to Jesus so that we can then make an informed decision about him. The other time, I read a commentary that said the other time that we see this same word draw is in John 21 6 when Jesus told his disciples to throw the net overboard after they'd been fishing and had had no luck and he goes hey why don't you throw the net over on that side of the boat try it again and they're just like we've been doing this all day we're professional fishermen and he's like hey why don't you just try it again and it says that when they drew the net back in the exact same word for drawing the net was dragging the pile of fish into the boat the fish didn't choose to get in the boat. And what God says to us is, I love you enough and I want you to avoid the punishment that is, that, that is your penalty to pay. I want you to avoid it. So I'm going to do everything I can to drag you to Jesus so that you can, you can take a look at him, that you can taste and see that the Lord is good. The father calls but it's up to us to respond. But let's be very clear that this is God's work and not ours. He's still doing the heavy lifting. He's still the one that's dragging you, whether kicking and screaming or you've gotten to a low point in your life and you know you have to turn to something and he says, hey, look, here's my son. And he's every bit as wonderful. There's nothing more wonderful than my son. Take a look at him and and see that you 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 can follow him. It's up to us to respond. We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, that the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. Isn't that something? Do you have people in your life that they just can't believe that you would spend a couple hours every Sunday at church? Do you have people in your life that are like, I can't believe that you give generously to an organization that, that says that God has, has told people to give money? I mean, can you, do you have people that are like, um, I have better ways to spend my money. I, I really don't need to give to that. And especially, I mean, when you look at the excessive lifestyles of pastors, oh my gosh, I mean, they have private planes, and they go wherever they want, and they have these crazy vacations. You've heard these things. People have said these kinds of things to you. In other words, we can't, we shouldn't blame them for being in that place. They don't understand why you're drawn to this place because they have not received the spirit that you've received. It's a completely different mind. Without the Father's call, we have no ability to Repent, which is an act of the mind. So what happens after we hear the call? Uh, this is the second point, and it's, it's pretty simple. It's We rethink our lives and our paths. We all get that choice. W- whatever has brought you to, maybe it's, maybe it's called rock bottom for you. And I, I don't think that everybody has a rock bottom, and I think uh, people's different levels of, of, of brokenness, it, it all manifests in different ways, and some people are very, very hard-headed, and other people, it just takes a little bit of, of wounding to realize, man, this this way is not working for me. They're kind of the quick learners, and they're like, I need to do something different. So what happens when when the Spirit of God brings us to that place where He calls us, and He calls us through pain a lot? Have you noticed that you tend to incline your ear to the Lord when you're hurting. That's why, that's why I, I'll see on Facebook, there, there are a few people that I follow that are um, not in our church. I'm not, I'm not you know, talking about anybody here. There's nobody in our church that I'm talking about here. But there are a few friends that I have across the country that, that are far from God. And every now and then, like, everything that they post, it's, it's seriously just all about self. It's all about indulgence. It's all about you know all the things that most people post on social media, if we're really honest. And um, every now and then, you'll see that God is knocking on their doors because something tragic has happened in their lives, and suddenly, they found religion, right? You know what I'm saying? All of a sudden, they're saying, wait a second. I need prayers for this or I need prayers for that. Suddenly they're asking for prayers when the last thing on their minds typically would be prayer. But that's kind of the normal human condition. We we don't tend to reach out. We tend to respond to what I believe is the Father's call. The Father's call. uh, Jesus is pretty loud. He knocks pretty loudly in our pain, doesn't he? That's God speaking to us. But we don't tend to reach out unless there's pain. So after the Father calls, we're in this place where we, we, we are uh, in this place where we can choose to rethink our lives and our paths. But here's the thing, rethinking our path is no guarantee that we'll follow Jesus. You can be sorry for everything that you're, you're going through. You can be sorry for something that happened. You can have acute sorrow for something and never make a change. So the question is, will we choose to stay the same after the pain? Because the pain will last only for a season. Will we choose to stay the same like the rich young ruler did? If you don't know about him, read about him. The rich young ruler was this guy who was known for being rich and young. (sighs) Kind of like Hollywood, right? And he went to to Jesus and he was pretty impressed with himself, like a whole lot of people were when they went to Jesus. And he basically said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus always sees to the heart, right? Right? And he answers the question that we're not asking, because he sees what we really need. And he looks and he says, actually, what you need to do is sell all of your possessions, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And what do we read about the rich young ruler? It says that he, he couldn't do it. He refused to. He actually turned and he walked away from Jesus. Or we can be like Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was also very rich, and he'd done a whole lot of bad things, but when when he encountered Jesus, he had a completely different reaction. And he actually he gave a whole bunch of his money away, and he said, "If I've cheated anyone, and that was not see, it, this was not a false apology like we hear false apologies today sometimes in the church. That's also that's a mistranslation. The worst thing that you can ever hear from someone is if I offended you, right? Everyone knows that ain't no apology. We know this." And how do we know when someone's truly sorry for what they've done? Come on, shout it out. How do you know? Right, they don't do it again. They own it. They don't do it again. That's how you know you're sorry. We know this with our little kids, but we have a hard time applying it to people in our churches. Right? Let's be be more grown up in how we approach these things. Rethinking, though, is no guarantee. The The rich young ruler re... Thought his life and he chose to stay where he was. Zacchaeus rethought his life and he completely changed. He had metanoia, which was a change of mind after he rethought. Let's skip ahead just a little bit. On the day of Pentecost, when God sent the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised after he left earth, um, a whole lot of things happened, and, and, and Peter preached this sermon that took the Jews who actually were responsible for the death of Jesus, he took, uh, he went through, basically did an Old Testament survey all the way up to Jesus, and he explained, you guys did this. You killed Jesus. And, and we're told that it really hit home with them. They, they really got it for the first time. They knew what they'd done but they really got it. Their heads and their hearts connected. Acts 2, verses 36 through 39. Peter ends his sermon with this. He says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. It says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? If they didn't have to do something, they wouldn't have asked. We have to do something. We have a response. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. The Father calls us and we get to respond. And on that day, Right after that, around 3,000 people were baptized in that moment. They didn't go home to think about it. They didn't go home to basically talk themselves out of it. Right? We, we do that we do this. We're like, well, I'm, gonna, I'm not sure. I'm going to really think about this." No, They were cut to the heart because they'd heard the Father's call. The words came to life. and they said yes to Jesus, and they baptized to signify. That they had repented. Let's be really clear about this. True repentance is not a strong thought or emotion. You might not have a ton of emotion about it. There there are people all the time that will cry after they have done something wrong or they've been caught. I see this with victims of abuse all of the time. The the perpetrator will cry big tears and they look really sorry and you actually can't help yourself uh, from feeling bad when you see someone crying unless you don't have a heart, right? But sometimes people's tears are not meant to, to show you that they are leading to change. Sometimes tears are meant to manipulate you to get you to stay where you are. Do you guys understand this? We have to be realistic about what repentance is. It is not crying. It is not strong emotion. It is not, um, <clears throat> it's not a fad. It's not doing something because our friends are doing it. It is having a change of mind. It's metanoia. And it's significant enough to change the direction of your lives all you have to do to look at your own life to see what you believe is to look at how you respond to different situations and circumstances in your life that will show exactly what you believe you can say you believe all the things that scripture says all day long but when stress comes up in your life how do you respond When good things happen, how do you respond? Sometimes good things that happen are the worst things that can happen to us because we fall in love with with the gift instead of with the giver. We're enamored by the things that God gives us and we kind of forget about the one who gave them. So don't, don't mix up what repentance is. It is not trying to be good enough to get to God. Let's be very, very clear about that. But repentance will show a changed life. It will. Luke chapter 3, this is such such an interesting passage to me. John the Baptist must have been a really interesting character, don't you think? I mean, we're we're told like he ate locusts and honey, so probably not a guy you'd want to invite over. (laughs) Kind of a different kind of person. His clothes looked weird, and he he said all sorts of hard, hard things, and He was relentless with the religious leaders who were pretty satisfied with themselves. The worst thing you can do in God's eyes is to have pride. Worst thing you can do. Don't set yourself up because he will humble you. They were pretty satisfied with their Jewishness. And they believed that that would suffice in God's eyes. They thought that they had the corner, they had the spiritual pedigree. It was enough for them to get to heaven because, hey, Abraham's the father of the faith, and, and God promised that through Abraham that all of his descendants would be blessed. So that sounds pretty good for us. And John the Baptist comes along, Luke chapter 3, verses 8 through 14, and he says this, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And I love this. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Whew. Wow, whoa, hold on a second. That's pretty, that's pretty big, right? What he's saying is, God actually doesn't need you. He wants you and he loves you. But he expects you to do this on his terms, not your own. God can make new kids out of those stones, so you better, you better listen carefully. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. The crowd was wise. (laughs) What should we do then? (laughs) John answered, and I love this, these are practical ways that demonstrate repentance. Which one applies to you? John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you were required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Repentance for you is not going to look exactly the same as it does for the person sitting next to you. Turning to God for you could be that you do need to sell all, of the, all that you have and give to the poor if you've made money, you're God. And it's not about a dollar amount, it's about where your heart is. Maybe, maybe repentance for you is, is, is caring for someone that looks different than you today. Maybe in your family, you have all these prejudices that have gone on for generations and, and you don't think you're prejudiced, but you also have never hung out with anyone who doesn't look just like you. And maybe may God's saying to you, repentance for you is letting go of those views and caring for someone because God cares for that person, just like he cares for you. So the Father calls us, and then we have this choice to rethink, hopefully repent and then change. And here's our final point today, and I'm going to ask the band to come back up. To love God with our minds, we must choose to think about God and the things of God. To love God with our minds, we must choose to think about God and the things of God. When we are actively choosing to be obedient to God, we're showing him that we love him. In John John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. And since repentance starts with the mind, doesn't it make a whole lot of sense that, that, that where we put our mind or, or what we actually place in our minds matters to God? If repentance starts in our minds, what we put in our minds actually matters. Should we be surprised at all That when we fill our minds with things that we know we shouldn't be filling our minds with, that we actually bear fruit that looks like that instead of repentance. What you think about is what your life becomes. So what you put in your mind actually matters. And this isn't to be legalistic, but there are just certain things for, for each of you in, in, in different degrees that you know for you, if you watch this kind of movie or if you see this kind of thing or if you listen to this kind of music or if you talk about these kinds of things, then you're haunted by it and you know that, that you start having fruit that looks like that come from your life instead of the fruit that, that looks like repentance, We shouldn't be surprised that what we think about is is what we're going to get out of our lives. And if we're thinking of the wrong things, we're going to do the wrong things. And when we do the wrong things, we're told that we grieve the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Isn't that a sad thing when you think that, that, that God has real emotions, He's not just the creator, but he has all of the emotions that you have. And when his children who have followed him start doing the wrong things, he is actually grieved by those things. The apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse two, do not conform to the pattern of, Of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is—His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, what do we think about? What What are the things that we need to think about? A a couple things, really, really really quickly. Paul said in Philippians chapter four, verses eight and nine tells us exactly the kinds of things to think about. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, so, so truth matters. So we need to think about truth. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or heard or received from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace We'll be with you. If you want to learn to love God with your mind, then also put the word of God into your mind. Because how can we say that we love him if we're not studying the words that he gave us? 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. The witness of scripture says, all scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When we're focused on the things, the kinds of things that God wants us to, we're going to get the kind of fruit he expects us to have that keep in line with repentance. When we read scripture, we're going to have good things come from us, not just because you know more information, but because after you've repented, you have the promise of the Holy Spirit who will live inside you and he will walk with you and he's going to reveal things to your mind that you never could have understood before you received the Holy Spirit. So, so we, we, as Christians, we read this book and it's more than a book because the author of the book is with us when we read it, revealing to us new things as we read. That's why the Bible is entirely different from any other book That the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit is with us when we read the Bible and he's revealing things to us supernaturally as we read. As we prepare uh, to close today, um, I'd really like to invite you to think about the times in your lives before you came to faith in Jesus Christ, before you came to him. I want you to think back and write in your journals this week about this, the times that you can look back and identify that the Father was calling you. I want you to look back and think about before you became a Christian, when you just know the, there, was, there was a moment or there were several moments that God was calling you, and you can look back with gratitude now and say, even before I came to Jesus, God knew me, and he saw me, and he called I had three dreams before I ever became a Christian around the age of 12. Three dreams where God revealed himself to me in dreams. I didn't regularly go to church at the time, but he, he, he spoke to me in dreams, freaked me out. I didn't know what to do with it. Went to my grandma who prayed all the time for me and she just smiled. She actually told me one time after one of my dreams, I explained the dream to her and she goes, oh, read the book of Ezekiel. And I'm like, book of Ezekiel, what's that? She showed me. And I literally read a passage that was exactly what my dream was. And I'd never, I'd never read Ezekiel in my life before. It wasn't one that you've probably read this week either. Seriously, like that's, it's, it was strange. I took note of that. And then just having a faithful praying grandmother with consistent prayers is another one of those marks for me that I just knew God was calling me through her. So write those in your journals this week so that you can see that God has been in pursuit of you. And when you look back and you see that he's been, he called you before you ever reached out to him, you're, so, you're just so thankful. Yeah, I, I, I thought back to these dreams and I thought, God cared enough about me that he spoke to me in my dreams before I ever, ever thought to call out to him. Isn't, there, isn't, that just, isn't that just moving to know that he, he sees you as an individual? He doesn't just look at us as a people and say, oh, look, it's, it's the Edge Church, and they always meet at 9.30 at Mattia, which is great. He loves that. But no, he looks and he goes, there's Corey. And I love him, and I see him, and I call his name. The Father calls. So this week, write in your journal the times that you saw that God had been calling you. Don't try to love God with your own mind. If you haven't received Jesus yet, this is how you do it. Repent. It's metanoia. Have a change of mind. Be baptized and receive the promise of the Holy Spirit, and then walk every day, fill in your mind with that truth, that truth of Scripture. Think about all the things Paul told you to think about. Read the word, allow that to fill you up, and you will. You won't be able to help but bear fruit in keeping with repentance, just like John the Baptist taught. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Can we stand and pray together? Father, I thank you that repentance is not something that we can do on our own, and I thank you for that because there's so many things in our lives that we feel that if we just will ourselves strongly enough that we'll get there, that we can get ourselves to do it. But there's nothing that I can do, I confess that there's nothing that I can do to get myself to feel godly sorrow. It has to be from your call, it has to be from your work. So I thank you, Father, that in this place today you are working things out And I thank you for everybody here who's made a decision to follow you and I pray that this week that they would train their minds, that we would train our minds on you in a way that that we can love you the way you expect to be loved by us. Help us to think about the right things and have the right actions that correspond. And Lord, for anybody here who's not yet received you as their Lord and Savior, Father, I pray that you would just call That you would call them in a way that they can just know, in this moment, God started doing something in my life. God, your word, you you say that your word will not return void. So Father, I pray over our congregation that, that whoever is spiritually blind today would supernaturally have their eyes, their ears, their hearts, and their minds opened from your call through the Holy Spirit and Allow them, give them that nudge so they can get to a hard yes. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.